This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. In this presentation, Anadita Paul and Sanda Ardelez propose the application of Sunwald's Information Horizons framework that helps to get the user's feedback through a graphical representation of the user's behavior that involves the information sources they access, the tools they use to access that information, and a verbal feedback of the user as a discussion of their behavior. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Information Horizons technique, as Jared Spool mentioned in the keynote, its uh, technique is in, methodology goes out of the window. So information horizons technique is what we are going to talk about today. And uh, the four elements of our presentation would be uh, user study goals. So we are going to touch upon the first two, which are user study goals and current approaches. And uh, uh, in the user study goals, we are going to talk about how, uh, what architectures want to achieve and what the goals uh, they would want uh, for a user study. And then we'll touch upon the current approaches which are uh, used in user studies. And then we'll go uh, in depth into information horizon uh, technique a little bit more and uh, uh, you know, to show how we do it. And then it's gonna be a case study about an implementation uh, of a user study in our uh, usability lab. So Sanda, why don't you start, yeah. Great, I'll be preaching from the perch because we have only one mic and we'll change. So uh, yesterday we heard Peter Morrill talk about um, new developments in uh, search behaviors. And when we heard his presentation, we were really excited because what he was saying fit very nicely in the framework of the approach that guided us towards developing information horizons, uh, methodology, technique, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what Peter said is that uh, we need to understand search behavior in detail, but also we need to see a big picture where it fits in in what user is doing. And where search behavior fits in, the, this bigger picture from what he said, is what we call in our field of library information science, user's information behavior. And in terms of user's information behavior, uh, we are trying to find out then what are website users' information needs and goals, uh, what is the content that is relevant to the users, and what are the functionalities that the web website should provide that would be helpful to user. So this is this next step context uh, where search behavior fits in. However, we believe that above that bigger picture, there is even a uh, bigger picture, which we are trying to depict here with this uh, space view, so view from the spaceship, where we need to see uh, what is the context in which this information behavior then fits. 
and we believe that this is uh, the question about what is the user's awareness about a website and how does the website compare with other similar resources that are available to the users and also what are some unmet needs and expectations uh, of users that perhaps are outside of the typical frame of searching and behavior that we already know about. So these are some guiding principles that we were trying to uh, address as we were looking for appropriate methodology. Now, we want to get this specific picture, this broader picture. We want to do a, a lot. Our goals are very, very complex. However, as information architects, you know that uh, your position has a lot of constraints. Uh, the deadlines uh, for producing results are very short. The budgets we are working with are shoestring budgets. And also, uh, let's admit, we would like to keep the learning curve kind of on the low end, so you don't have to really invest a lot of time, uh, time in learning constantly uh, very fast new methods. Which brings us uh, to back to Anindita and the question, what are some of the approaches that have been currently used? Okay, so as we saw in the last few days of the conference, um, that some of the, you must have heard about this, like off and on current approaches are focus groups, surveys, interviews, and these three are mainly used in market research. And, and the contextual inquiry is a little more in-depth and usability testing, these are mostly used in design research kind of a, a scenario. And what we see is with, the, with these current approaches, the methodological problems, you know, which lies with what you are asking, what questions you're asking and what the answers to these questions would be is it overemphasizes the website that is evaluated. That is, the focus becomes very narrow when you're looking at one website and, um, and you know, how the users are behaving on the website. So, as you see in the picture, uh, how the New Yorker looks at the world, and this is by Steinberg, this is the Ninth Avenue, and this is US, and then it's the Hudson River, and then across it, just yeah, across it, that's it, the Pacific Ocean and then Japan, China. So that's the, you know, that's the narrow focus uh, your website would have. So this just there. So this kind of creates a distorted picture of what is really important to the user and which might, um, you know, escape the point in what you're trying to escape, uh, you know, what you're trying to question and what the answer to the question is. And another uh, methodological problem would be to get the user to reflect on what the user had experienced in the past. And as uh, in the last, uh, yesterday's presentation, uh, Melissa Matros uh, from Hotwire, she said that um, what users tell us what they want and what they say they actually want is very different. So, so it's very difficult to get them to reflect what they have done in the past and trying to recollect it. So that's another methodological issue is users often lack self-reflection about the information needs and their uses, and, uh, and they have problems with recollection and generalization of their experiences. So now what we need is a better approach. We need the, to allow the users to get into the right mood to, you know, to 
reflect well, to recollect what they did, and uh, you know, so that this can provide an access to the bigger picture of how they would go about accessing information and what is the specific detail of the particular context as well. So these are equally important to get the bigger picture as well as get the detail of the elements of the bigger picture. And this can be accomplished with modest resources as we are going to talk about um, uh, the technique which we use and the resources if there's a time limitation, the, the budget, etc. So this can be accomplished by modest resources. And so I think Sanda is going to talk about the information horizons approach now. So this is uh, the way how uh, we were trying now to address some of these concerns uh, that uh, we just explained. We told you what, uh, how we perceive the problem. Uh, we said what are the constraints that we are facing in terms of addressing that problem. And uh, what I want to also share with you that given the fact that we come from academic background, uh, we, are, we were looking for more of a grounding. We have a situation that needs to be addressed and how we are going to go about fixing it. And one way uh, of fixing it, we were looking for, uh, I guess, our own soup stone. And this was the soup stone that we were using. Uh, it's a book that, uh, uh, we, uh, that was published in 2005 that shows all sorts of theories and concepts that have been developed in the field of library information science. And one of the concepts and th theories that we found very useful was proposed by Diane Sonnenwald in 2001 and colleagues, which is information horizons methodology uh, as a research method to investigate information seeking. So this was the initial step, uh, the method that shows, uh, that provides a way for users to uh, present to an interviewer what are the sources of information on their horizon, where do they go, and how they go about uh, finding that information. Uh, however, there were also two additional um, theoretical stems that we were going back to. One was a work by Reo Salonainen from uh, Finland about everyday seeking uh, information behavior, which very nicely explains that how work seeking, uh, seeking for leisure, seeking every day, follow patterns that kind of overlap. And we need to keep in mind these patterns when we design systems. And finally, uh, we were also drawing back to my own work in information encountering, which uh, brings to our attention the fact that we very often forget that people don't actually actively pursue information. They're not necessarily always seekers. They are also encounters, people who find information by accident. And systems that are being developed should address that element of uh, information behavior. And if that's true, then also our methodologies need to address uh, finding how people go about bumping into information. Now, uh, aside of these theories, we had some methodological influences. We picked some ideas from critical incident approach, mind mapping in terms of representing visually what user is doing. We used uh, in-depth interviewing and also content analysis, especially at the end of uh, data analysis. So we want to give a nod to a couple of other magic tricks. Uh, it's not that we created everything from uh, get-go. Uh, at the 
very beginning at the setup of our um, approach, we are using uh, a rather simple one-to-one -one format. You have one interviewee and one interviewer, a user and a member of our lab who is doing interviewing. Uh, the necessary equipment is uh, very minimal. You need uh, one large poster-sized piece of paper uh, and a couple of colored markers. Uh, optional equipment that we use in the lab involves more because we also audio and video record everything that is taking place. And if any, at any moment user wants to step out from only talking and drawing on the map and what's, wants actually to show what they do, we record that activity using Moray. Now the first step in the process of data collection is to ask user to put themselves, physically really, they draw a little smiley face in the middle of the paper. Uh, usually the paper is much larger, so they, their face is much smaller, but we didn't want to take all the space on this slide. And we provide them context of what we are asking for. But the context is specific to the area of information need that we are addressing, but we are not naming any sources, we are not providing any uh, very specific guidance what we expect. Basically, they don't know what we are after. Uh, we ask them to recall a critical incident. We don't call it critical incident, but we ask them to recall a situation where they had a positive uh, experience with finding information on a specific topic that we are interested in. And after this context has been established, then we go to the next step and ask them to identify the sources that they followed as they were addressing this situation. And there is a lot of probing at this stage where they explain where they went, what was relevant to them. Um, they talk about search behavior, they talk about browsing behavior, but again, they still don't know is there anything specific as a terms of, in terms of resources that we, don't, we want to know about. They are basically telling the story. Uh, people like to tell stories, they start feeling very comfortable, they share their experiences, they're really not being interviewed, they're really not filling out the survey. On the next stage, after we finish with this critical incident, uh, if there are questions, we'll be happy to get back to them um, after the presentation. We then, uh, using another color, ask them, uh, are there some other things that they would typically use, other resources that we use in addressing similar kind of situation? So you can see here that we move uh, from specific limited experience to one incident and try to help them to uh, generalize their experience. Uh, users very often have problem with generalization. If you immediately sti start with generalized uh, questions, they could give you very wide open, uh, non-reliable answers. Uh, one question that, that usually appears in service, how often do you use web? How often do I use web? How often do you use email? You know, how many email messages do you get at the given day? These are all impossible to uh, answer questions uh, for a typical user. They really can't generalize. But we do want some uh, answers that go beyond the specific situation. So we are giving them a little bit of, uh, we are giving them scaffolding to the next step so they can provide better generalization for us in this specific context of the data collection. In this stage, we would then also 
probe with the target website that we, would, uh, that we are specifically interested in. So if that target website uh, has been mentioned, we would go back to it and ask more questions about it. But if it wasn't uh, mentioned up to that point, we would bring it in and ask, what about X site? Do you use that site? And then get the story from them, whether it's being used, not being used, uh, under what conditions, and so on. And then on the fourth stage, uh, we probe for unexpected uh, sources of information. We uh, ask them to recall situations where they unexpectedly bump into some useful information on that specific topic, and it really was a surprise to them. And you'll be surprised how often uh, we get comments that are you know, out of the blue, somewhere something that you really could not guess that would be a useful source of information for the user. Um, now, if you recall what we talked about, some of those theories from uh, a couple of slides before, this process of data collection really is matched well with those theories in terms of everyday information behavior, in terms of um, making sure that uh, they also talk about these unexpected sources where they encounter information. Once the data collection is completed, we, there are different ways we can analyze data. The first level of analysis is right away. It's very quick. It, it happens almost instantaneously. As soon as we have these maps, we can uh, take them to our client, uh, talk about what we've seen, especially if we don't see the target website on the maps that have been presented. We can then point, you know, you guys are not there. We talked a lot with these people, but you don't show, or you show very late in the game in terms of their recollection. There are obviously deeper levels of analysis that we can follow too, if we have time. Uh, we uh, also create um, uh, the resource use metrics for all participants. I'm not sure if this is large enough for you to see, but basically we uh, count the mentions of different types of resources across the participants in whatever group uh, was used uh, for data collection. And then we see what are the overall top resources, what is the order of their preference, and this information can also be shared with the client. And then finally, there is the deepest analysis that we really like to do uh, because of our research interest, but hardly any client really wants to go to that next step. Uh, we can uh, easily listen, view the sessions that have been recorded. We can transcribe them if we want to. And then uh, look uh, using some content analysis and uh, maybe uh, grounded theory approach, whatever you want to use. Look for some major themes and user res responses and then analyze that content too. But again, so far, uh, not, nobody really wanted us to go to the next step. And this brings us uh, to the specific client that we worked uh, with, and uh, Anidita can tell you more about that client. Okay, so this client which, uh, we, uh, on which we used the information horizons technique uh, was an academic research unit. And this had six divisions in them which catered to the different audiences in the, in the institution. And Altogether, they had five distinct categories of users. So, you know, there were like two, different, two categories of users which specifically, according to them, used 
one division and another category of users with other divisions. So in all, there were five distinct categories of users. The problem which they had when they approached us was they had an old website, and uh, well, it, it was there for a long time. They used to make update. They used to update the content, but on an irregular basis, you know, off and on. So you know, they thought that they need to update the content, and they wanted to also improve the visual appeal and the navigation of the of the website. So uh, what we did was in our first attempt, we did a, we ran a think aloud session across the five members of the first user group, and we were not really, uh, it didn't really happen that, it, it didn't uh, happen the way we wanted. It seemed that something is missing. There was a big issue over there. And well, there was some kind of a mismatch. We asked the users to talk about the website. And so we thought that there needs to be a step back. You know, We need to step back and see about what's happening actually. And what we did in our attempt to was we applied the information horizons and uh, on the four on the remaining four user groups, and uh, so each of the users were asked to, as as Sanda showed you, the different steps of the information horizons technique. Uh, each of the users were asked to talk about their experience, remember the critical incident, their experience about that particular context, and then further go about um, giving more uh, information on their habits. And each of these sessions lasted around 40 to 45 minutes. And the detailed data analysis lasted for one hour per session. So, and also like as uh, the, this was the detailed data analysis, but we could see in the first, uh, when we were asking them, when, when, the, when the interview was going on, that you know, that the website is not there in, the, in their recall anywhere. So, uh, well, as I said, the findings uh, involved the lack of awareness and use of the client's site. They didn't have any awareness, and uh, they they got they went to alternative sources for whatever the information they um, the website provided. So they found uh, different other sources which they would prefer over this website, and some didn't even were not even aware of this website being you know there. So, and these users had distinct search patterns, like depending on their roles, depending on their, um, you know, as uh, their position in the, in their own uh, departments, and so on. So, and the patterns in the user's preference for sources were not anticipated by the client, because they told us that these are the distinct users of their website, and these divisions, uh, you know, the different divisions had different impressions about who are the users who come to their website. They had this notion, but, it nowhere when we went to the users, we didn't find that these users' preferences of sources, you know, this website being in their preference of sources. So, and the client was very surprised about that. Well, so to summarize this, uh, why should I professional use IH, the information horizons technique? Well, as Sandra said, it's grounded in I. Uh, LIS research, information behavior research, and it facilitates users' recall and reflection. They get into the mood of talking about it, and then they, once they get into it, they start talking about it. And uh, the 
it gives access both ways to the bigger picture and the environment of the user and how they would actually go about in that specific context. And this requires a moderate investment of resources. So it could be, you know, you could use it on one user and you can further probe into it and you can budget it accordingly and you can put the time accordingly, depending on the availability of the time. And of course, it can be scalable, which can move around big projects, small projects, and you can accordingly, you know, uh, flex it uh, based on your needs. And so, okay, to be continued, because now we are uh, working on this information horizons, and further we hope to see that how it turns out the, after the user, the client implements it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so any questions? Uh, here are a couple of resources for those of you who are curious about references and our email addresses so you can also contact us later. Questions? The next. Can you give some specific examples of how you're actually giving context in the beginning and also some examples of how you're asking around unexpected resources? Okay. So what we do is when we ask the user, uh, when we are interviewing the user, we ask the user to recall. When, and that is, again, on a specific question which we ask. So suppose the website is a research website which helps facilitating research in the institution. So we are going to ask the user about what was the last time, and this user is a research user who's into research, what was the last time they had um, you know, looked for information related to their research. Even before that, what is their research? And then you know, how, what was the last thing they did? So when they start talking about it, this is the research, the last time they had to do a project, or they were looking for some particular information which is currently going on in their mind. So you know, then, where did they go to? They would say that, you know, they would use their natural habits, like maybe I will go to the library. I, I went for this information to, the, to my advisor, say, to, I went to a colleague, I went uh, to the online Google Scholar search. So actually I can show you the, the, the diagram which we had over there, which, was, which actually is from the, a, a real user who gave different you know, his habits. He said that he would go to SciFinder, which is for chemistry, a database. So that is where he would go first. He marked it as first. And then he would go to online ACS, which American Chemical Society. Then go to the library. So these are the different uh, areas which they would ask. They would, you know, they would recollect themselves when they are talking about it. And then we kind of ask them in the second layer about whether they would go to some, you know, if they can think of more other resources, we kind of pressing them to think, you know, so we are going a second layer maybe, you know, which is not the top of the mind recall or something. So, you know, there we go, they go to a second level of uh, sources where they are, they further go and, um, you know, talk about it. So there where we give them a different color ink pen and so, you know, they put that. They went to, he went to chemists in the department. Then he said, okay, I would go to other friends also who are all over the US maybe because if I have a question, I would mail them and which I, if I can't find it in the available resources. He, that was the second layer. 
And so if you want to talk yeah. about the third layer. And in terms of that final uh, layer, uh, by that time we already had that level of relationship where they feel comfortable and uh, we basically then allow them to kind of step out of that and say, so, you know, what about situations when you kind of found something when you were not really looking for it? We don't label it accidental. We don't uh, use any uh, highbrow type of concepts. We don't call it information encountering. This is the term that uh, I use in my research, but we don't call it like that. We sometimes refer to it as a serendipity because people tend to understand what it is. And uh, this concept really worked extremely well with researchers. You can see their kind of eyes lighting up, say, oh, yeah, you know, it happens all the time. And then they would share a story that explained how they were, um, you know, in a grocery store browsing for something, checking in the checkout line and saw something on a magazine uh, that was related to their research. Now, obviously, uh, the, the range of these stories can be really uh, a bit strange and not every single situation will be immediately applicable to information architects. But it does tell us uh, uh, that people cross-connect their private behavior with their research behavior. This is one thing. And uh, it may give some nuggets of good information if you want to uh, put some of that unusual sources that you may provide them on, on your website. So this is what we were uh, trying to achieve with this approach. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I'm a bit confused, though, in that um, last week before coming here, uh, we managed a, usability, uh, sorry, a, a focus test in which we had a group of people whom we had selected uh, for you know, a particular audience group. And we asked them all the same questions without doing that you know, visual mapping, but it was all about awareness about certain websites and building up, up to the point where we don't, didn't ask them for these serendipity resources, but it still provided us with the same amount of information that we used Moray to record what they were mm -hmm. saying, and they were, we had all of it documented. Um, and then we went on one-to-one -to -one interviews mm -hmm. for actual uh, user, usability testing mm -hmm. on the website. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how that, what you were proposing, differs from the focus uh, testing experience, when we're, in which you're using, you know, you're working with a large group rather than a one-on-one -on -one process. Well, um, I guess it's really good to know that independently we developed uh, similar approaches, which kind of talks well uh, that uh, some tricks and techniques come from the experience. Um, what makes me feel really great is that obviously what you were doing also can then be connected to some of these uh, research and theories that we basically developed more um, deductively. When we... Uh, had a problem being more research-oriented rather than practice-oriented, uh, we couldn't draw back to our prior, ex prior experiences because we really didn't have so much experience in saying, well, we are going to fix our problem with experiences. We said, let's go and see what we know from the research, and then we will fix uh, the problem that we had. It seems to me that building on your rich experience in usability testing 
you came to a similar kind of solution, which I would really applaud because then we can bring those two things together and say, yeah, well, it seems that this approach uh, works well and maybe can be tweaked uh, by you adding that element of surprise in your method and maybe us adding that element of starting perhaps with the group environment uh, as a focus group and then moving down to one-on-one -on -one sessions. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, and this goes out to all kinds of people, but in general, when you're trying to um, ascertain who it is you're going to be, who you're picking for your pool that you're making the questions, how are you getting, and I'm also coming from an academic background, and so um, I'd like for your answer specifically, but, but I mean, I know that this kind of cuts across the board. How do you determine where you're going to get the people? Are they all referred from the client at that point? Um, are you doing some sort of searching through the community and other forms? If you could speak to that a little bit. That's a good question. So usually what happens in our usability studies when we are uh, time constrained and you know, sometimes when we are providing a service to our client, sometimes when we do the recruitments of subjects, it uh, happens that we are uh, sometimes the the client provides us the the subjects. You know, it happened. And in this particular study, the client provided us the subjects, and uh, these were like out on the content. You know, the <coughs> distinct user groups. Now, these user groups were from the institution itself, so it's like they are there. So they are as a service to the institution, to the different audiences were in the institution. So we kind of picked up five users from those distinct user categories at times, and at times also when, the, suppose there were some users who were more at the professional level which we didn't have access to. So the, the particular, in the, the, the unit, uh, academic unit had more access to them, so they provided us with the, with the subjects. So it was either ways, you know. So some of the subjects we got from our acquaintances and it was within uh, the distinct categories of users and some of the users they provided us. And also just a quick follow-up to also be thinking, and then how did you get them to actually participate? On uh, maybe just to, to answer, actually add on the previous answer that Anidita provided, we were paying a regular type of attention that we don't get everybody from the same units. So if we were looking, talking with the researchers. We didn't want everybody from life sciences, obviously. And, um, and now, uh, how they would participate? Well, th there is a bit of advantage of the territory where we are that you can uh, ask people to do things because it's good for them to do it in terms of they are part of the bigger, better thing that they're helping with, even though they didn't really know that they were providing feedback on that specific website, but they knew about the lab, uh, they knew that lab is doing good things for university, and then they wanted to be part of it. And uh, I know that in a, more, in a commercial uh, sector, you can't always use the same arguments, but fortunately it works well in academia, so we will use this argument as long as we can. <laughs> And you can come and use our uh, respondents if you need some, because we won't tell them that you need them for your studies. 
so I see the resources up there that the user needs, but I don't see their goals. Like, is there a way that you should be, or we should be representing why they're using those resources? You know, how do we avoid just creating more portals that go into the, that just link together information? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not clear on, if your overall goal is to clarify the website, um, you'd probably want to know what the people are doing, right? Like why the people are doing what they're doing. And, and this is something that did come through the interviewing process. We didn't have time to talk about all the things that were probed, but we would talk about their motivations. Uh, we were asked them about specific steps. Each step they take uh, was uh, followed up uh, by a lot of probing. Why, 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 why you didn't do this, why you did that. So uh, it does require some level of um, flexibility in, uh, on the side of the interviewer. Um, maybe the first and the second interviewer interview, if somebody hasn't had that experience before, a little bit uh, more on the stiff side, where uh, interviewee would uh, interviewer would tend to stick with the script and not really see questions that should have been asked about the motivation. Uh, but then this would really be corrected as time goes by. And um, I have to repeat what uh, Anidita said, that we also have this teaching element uh, as a lab. So uh, while the students are doing data collection, I'm kind of monitoring from distance and paying attention that if they move too fast and they miss some of these motivations, that they be reminded, you know, they said this, you didn't follow, next time please follow. Um, Again, this may not be very useful to uh, you directly because you, necess you don't necessarily have students who are learning how to do usability as we have in the lab, but I'm sure that you have uh, junior members of the team who may be for the first time going through these experiences and uh, the learning uh, curve, um, uh, the process of learning is very fast. You just need to point where they made mistake and next time usually they don't make the same mistake and they pick up motivations. Other questions? I have a quick question of my own, which is um, your method relies so heavily on recall, and um, I'm just curious, like you know, how you know how are you how you're assessing reliability of that recall? Well, uh, yes, uh, sometimes uh, that's why the questions that we are asking them, we are trying to ask them, we are asking them to recall an incident, you know, when they had last gone there and kind of the questions are designed around that particular incident of what did they do actually for that particular time when they had this information requirement, when they were looking for information or where they, uh, and then we kind of, from that point onwards, like, then we kind of ask them, like, how do they usually go about doing it, that is, on that particular context. So you, we rely on the context, basically, and then, you know, that particular incident and then trying to expand on that. Well, so that is something which gets the user in the mood, but, yeah, that is how we think the reliability is more better than, you know, the other any other kind of, you know, just asking them about, so what did, how do you usually go about doing it? How do you, you know, do it? And so what did you do, uh, you know, 
what did you, if, if you point out to a specific aspect, perhaps they would be able to recall more about what did they actually, what steps they took to, you know, they take to, yeah, rather they had taken at that point, that particular point. So, yeah. It's basically the technique of anchoring it first with the very specific experience and then we balance it off in the next layer with the more generic experience. So it's the play between two approaches that gets you what you want rather than just being either linked to only critical incident or only to overall generalized experience. Okay. We can take one last question if there is one. Okay, um, I've been asked to mention that lunch is not in the room it's been the past couple of days. It's actually upstairs in the Riverwalk Cafe. So um, I guess uh, enjoy your lunch. Thank you. Thanks for coming.